approach the Bible with a telescope this morning. A telescope, right? Now, what does a microscope do? A microscope makes small things big, right? And a telescope makes big things able to be seen in their bigness. It takes big things and brings them near so that we can see them in their bigness. Now, last week, we talked about beholding our triune God. And basically, we said, approach your Bible with a telescope so that you can see, bring the bigness of God near when you read your Bible, right? Well, now we're going to take that telescope and we're going to aim it to the whole Bible. So if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, open them. You say, where? To the whole Bible, because today's lesson is entitled, Keep the Big Story in View. We're going to not talk about one part of the Bible. We're going to talk about the whole Bible. And this is how we're going to wrap up our series on the approach. I hope that you've done more than take notes. I hope that you're actually applying what you're hearing to your approach to the Bible on a daily way. I know it's impacting how I look at my Bible. We can all keep learning and growing. So today, here's what I want to do. I want to begin by thinking of the Bible as a story. And so just to get us into this idea, look at your notes. It says this, the Bible is the story of God's glory. The Bible is the story of God's glory. And if you expand on that a little bit, the Bible is one story of God's glory progressively revealed on earth as it is in heaven. That's what the Bible is all about. Now let's break that down a little bit just to get us into this idea. First of all, the Bible is one story. The Bible is one story. Now, how many books are in the Bible? Who knows? 66, right? And uh, how many are in the Old Testament? 39. How many in the New Testament? 27. You're right, Shelley. You're right. How many authors of these books? you know how many authors of the books, approximately? We don't know for sure because some books we're not sure, you know, who exactly hum- humanly wrote them. Around 40 different authors. And it took around 3,600, a little over 3,500 years to write in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, spanning diverse nations, diverse cultures, diverse people groups. But how many stories are in the Bible? Again, you might say, well, there's many. I mean, we, we teach them, right? We know many of them. But how many stories? Ultimately, there's one story. And history is his story. There is one story in the Bible. In fact, you know, Bible means book. And so in the Greek, Biblia means book. The Bible is the book with one ultimate author. And who is that ultimate author? God, yeah. So you have 66 books, but it's one book. You have uh, nearly 40 different authors that we know about, and yet there's one ultimate author. It is the book. It's one book with one story. But what is this one story about? The Bible is one story about God's glory. It's one story about God's glory. Now, 
Last week we looked at the idea of behold, looking, approaching your Bible to behold the glory of the triune God. And we said that you could sum up, and the Bible in fact sums itself up with one word, in the beginning, God, right? Well, it's God and His glory that the whole story is about. John Calvin wrote one time that the entire universe was created to be a theater of God's glory. And he didn't come up with that. That's Bible. Listen to Psalm 72, 19. And blessed be his glorious name forever, and may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And us humans were created as his image bearers to be glory showers, to reflect his glory back to him and to all of creation. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, you probably know it, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all how? To the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think, According to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. From beginning to end, you have in the beginning of Genesis, you have the glory of God in creation. At the end, in Revelation 22, you have the glory of God in the new creation. And in between, you have the glory of God in the redemption of sinners. In fact, we looked at this last week. Ephesians chapter 1, 3, 3 through 14 is one complete sentence in the original Greek. Three, I mean, that's like, what, 11 verses that's actually one sentence, and it's all about the praise of the glory of His grace. The Father, it says, predestines our salvation to the praise of the glory of His grace. The Son purchases our salvation to the praise of His glory, Ephesians 1 says. The Spirit protects and is a pledge of our salvation to the praise of of his glory. What does that mean? That means that when we come to heaven, we are just it's going to be full of the glory of God. So the Bible is the story of the glory of God. But how does God tell that story? And here's the third thing I want you to see. The Bible is one story of his glory progressively progressively revealed on earth as it is in heaven, progressively revealed. Now, what I have there in your notes is this progress, this progressive story of his glory and different ways to summarize that. You know, we said, if you're going to summarize the Bible in one word, I suggest God. Okay, if you're going to do it in or, or but if you're going to look at the progression of the story, if you want to do it with just two words, I would say promise and fulfillment. The Old Testament is the promise of the glory of God on earth, and the New Testament is the fulfillment of that. If you're going to expand that and say, well, I want to see the plot of the story in three words, well, then I'd start with creation. It comes to Christ. 
and he brings the new creation. So there's three words. Many people summarize the story of the Bible with four words. Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. But actually, I'd say that even, you know, I mean, you can always get more detailed. But notice that last line of that chart where it says this. This, I mean, I use all of these. And you can use all of these. In fact, the uh, redemption uh, or creation, fall, redemption, new creation is a way to summarize the gospel. So if you're talking to lost people, you can uh, share the good news of the gospel with those four words. But if you look at that last line, I think this gives a fuller picture of where the story of his glory is going. Notice it begins with creation and then Adam and Eve fall into sin and everything is in rebellion, then you have redemption promised through, old, through the Old Testament through Israel. And Israel is a shadow of the realities that are coming. It's a redemption promise. Then you have Christ in his first coming. And then you have redemptions fulfilled now, but not really, not yet, not completely. And you've got the New Testament church. And then you have Christ's second coming. And then he brings in the kingdom, which involves both Israel and the church. He brings the kingdom to fulfill all of the promise, not just some of them, but all of his promises. And then it ends with the new creation. Now, when you think of the plot line of the story of the Bible, it really answers the big questions in life. For instance, where did we come from? Creation. Why am I here? Image bearers who were created in God's image. What went wrong? Why is everything so screwed up? The fall. What is the solution to our problems? Redemption in Christ. Who's in charge of all this? The kingdom, the kingdom of God. And where is history ultimately going? the new creation. You see, the, the plot line of the Bible answers all the big questions in life. Now, if the Bible is one story of His glory, how do I approach my Bible to keep this big story in view? How do I do it? I'm going to give you two approaches, and this is how we're going to finish this series. So here you go. Two heart postures to keep the story of His glory before you. Number one, approach your Bible canonically. You say, that sounds like surgery. I don't like that. Approach your Bible canonically. What do I mean by that? Read the entire Bible repeatedly. Read the entire Bible repeatedly. I almost said approach your Bible completely, but I want you to learn some of these words because these are words used in church history. There's words that are used by Christians canonically. That comes from the word canon. What's the canon? I mean, is that something you shoot? You know, is that a, a weapon of war? No, the canon, it refers to the standard or the rule. A canon is like a measuring stick. It's a ruler. And so the canon of Scripture is where you where the church recognizes which books of the Bible are actually inspired and authorized by God. And so the canon of Scripture is, has been recognized 
as these 66 books in your Bible. So when I say approach your Bible canonically, I mean approach it completely, the entire Bible. That's how you keep the whole story in view. Can you imagine watching a movie and watching, well, and maybe some of you actually do this, I don't know. But you're watching a movie, you watch five minutes, and then you fast forward ten minutes dip in for two minutes, and then fast forward 20 minutes, and then watch for 10 minutes, and then fast forward to the end and read the end and say, I don't understand why it ended this way, and then you're done with the movie. And yet that's how we often read the Bible. We dip in here, read a little bit, fast forward to this book, read a little bit, fast forward to the bat book, run to Revelation, and we don't have a clue. And you know why most people don't understand Revelation? It's not because it's that hard to understand. It's because it's filled with images and symbols from the whole Bible. And if you don't know the whole Bible, it's not going to make sense to you. So let me give you a couple practical things under this, okay? Approach your Bible canonically. Number one, The first is don't unhitch from the Old Testament. Don't unhitch from the Old Testament. There was a guy in church history by the name of Marcion. He was a church history dude that was ultimately declared a heretic. And here's why he was declared a heretic. Because when he looked at the the canon of Scripture, he said, No, I'm going to create my own canon. I'm going to create my own measuring stick, my own yardstick to determine which books are the, the really important ones, the ones that are really from God. And he, he read the Old Testament. He said, man, that guy, that God in the Old Testament seems angry. Let's get rid of that. And then he read some more. And then he read Paul. And he said, you know, this Paul guy seems to really understand what's going on. And ultimately, he kind of, he created a canon within the canon. He created his own canon. And he said, you know, Here's the books we need to be reading, the Apostle Paul's letters. Okay, he just got written, basically, he he did what so many have done down through history. He got rid of the parts he didn't like. And he said, this is my Bible. Now, I know, hopefully, no one in this room would say that, but if you haven't read the whole Bible or you only read certain parts of the Bible all the time, you're doing the same thing in a practical way. Make sense? So if you're always reading a psalm and a proverb and that's all you've done for your whole life, well, then that's your canon. That's your Bible. And if you only read the New Testament and not the Old Testament, then that's your canon. That's your Bible. And you're not seeing the whole story of his glory as you approach the Bible. Now, Andy Stanley's a a mega pastor, a celebrity pastor, and he's encouraging pastors, churches, and believers to do something very similar to what Marcion did way back in church history. He's saying, hey, look, when you go to the Old Testament, there's a lot of things in there that people don't believe anymore, that people struggle with. Don't worry about that. Just move right on into the New Testament. And really, don't even worry about the New Testament. Just focus on the resurrection when you're talking to people. Well, I just showed you that the whole storyline of the Bible answers the questions that people are asking, okay? And so we we don't want to unhitch from the Old Testament. We don't want to unhitch from a God of wrath, supposedly in the Old Testament, to embrace a Jesus of love in the New Testament. Why? Because we just saw last week 
It's one God in three persons. You're not solving the problem. You're creating more problems. Okay? Don't unhitch from Old Testament miracles to just focus on the New Testament resurrection. Because listen, here's what, listen, here's what Jesus himself said. So here's Stanley's theory of, of how to evangelize. You focus on the resurrection. You don't worry about all those crazy miracles in the Old Testament that people get hung up on. Just focus on the resurrection. And yet Jesus said in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, when the rich man was in hell and he said, send my brothers, uh, go or, or rather send Abraham to my brothers and tell them don't come to this place. And here's what, uh, what, Ab- what, what, what Abraham said or God said. He said, They have Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to them, they won't listen to someone who rises from the dead. You see, the point was, it's not about which miracles and making things easy. It's the Word of God. And if you don't trust the Word of God, you're not going to buy into this. And so we want the whole Bible. Don't unhitch from the Old Testament. Number two, don't overstay in the New Testament. Don't overstay in the New Testament. In other words, don't wear out your welcome Uh, by just staying in the New Testament. You say, well, I would never unhitch from the Old Testament. But the question is, do you ever read it? Is all you're reading the New Testament? Um, Now, John MacArthur spent 42 years of his uh, pastoral ministry preaching through every verse of the New Testament. And someone asked him, why don't you preach out of the Old Testament? He said, well, the, uh, the people of God are a new covenant people and the New Testament is for them. Well, that's great for John. But it's frustrating to a guy like me when I want to see what John thinks about the Old Testament. His commentaries are only on the New Testament. And that's great. That's fine. But I'm glad that here at LifeBridge, we get a balanced diet of both Old Testament books and New Testament books. As I look through on our website, wearelifebridge.com, and I look at the message series is there, there is, a, a, there is the whole storyline of Scripture as we look at Old Testament and New, and you need to do the same. Number three, don't pit one part of the Bible against another. Don't pit one part of the Bible against another. Uh, Why? Because the whole Bible is his story. And I've got all sorts of examples there for you. And uh, you can look at that. So, how do I do this? How do we actually do this? Well, here's how you do it. Read your whole Bible like you wash your hair. Read your whole Bible like you wash your hair. How do you wash? What, what's the instruction? Well, some of you I know that might be hard. Sorry. Paul, how you doing? Paul, you doing okay? <laughs> Hang with me. They'll explain it to you there at the table. How? What, what's the, what's the, instru- the famous instructions on the shampoo bottle? Lather, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat, right? And that's how you should read your Bible, okay? Listen, for you computer nerds, I'm hoping you know what this is. They say that is the shampoo algorithm. Do you know what an algorithm is? I have no clue. But anyway, that's the shampoo algorithm. And when they teach people in computer classes about algorithms, they introduce wash, rinse, repeat to tell them what a 
So anyway, I just read that. I thought that was interesting. But here's the deal. Why do they say that? Because it, it, it's become known. Wash, rinse, repeat has become known. It's it become like a, um, a, uh, a uh, oh, I don't know, like a proverb for doing something repeatedly for best results. To get the best results, do something repeatedly. And, of course, it sells more shampoo at, at the same time. But when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to the canon of Scripture, this is wise advice, and it will give you the best results in knowing your Bible. Pray, read, repeat. Pray, read the whole thing, and then repeat. That's how you get, keep the big story in view. This is how you become people of the book. How? By reading through the entire Bible. I've said it many times. I, I, I would never want to be a Christian who dies and enters into the presence of Jesus, the living Word of God, having never read my entire Bible. You don't want to be that person. You don't want, it doesn't determine your salvation, I'm not saying that. But who would want to meet the living word, have, having owned the written word, and having never read the whole story of his glory? Use different methods. There's not one method. There is a method that will fit your shape and your personality. But at the end of the day, you got to read it. Right? So you can do the bookmark method. How am I going to read through my whole Bible? I'm going to read, and then when I can't read anymore, I put my bookmark in. Tomorrow, I start where the bookmark is. I read for as long as I can, and then I put the bookmark in, and then I, you know, the bookmark method. It doesn't take a plan. You don't have to, I mean, just the bookmark method. Uh, Christy, I know, uses this, uh, has used this for years. How, what, what do you, how much do you read? I don't know. I just read, and then I put my bookmark, and then I keep reading through the whole Bible. There's the 15 or 20 minute a day method. Just, okay, everybody has 15 minutes. In fact, look, your phone will tell you how long you've been on your phone per day, per week. You have time. So figure out what time you're going to do, and I'm going to read every day for 20 minutes. And then you put your bookmark is, wherever 20 minutes takes you, there it is. And then 20 more minutes, and then 20 more minutes. John Piper says the way you read big theological books is you read them 15 minutes a day. And, uh, and, and that does work. It, it, it's, it's one way of doing it. There's different methods. There's the chronological method. There's the canonical method. You say, what's the canonical method? You read straight through as they are in the Bible. Chronologically, you read according to history. There's different translations for different purposes. Okay? So I've read through the entire K, uh, King James, New King James, NIV, ESV, and the Christian, um, just this weekend we'll finish the Christian Standard Bible. Sometimes I've done those in 90 days. Sometimes I've done them in a year. Sometimes I've done them in two and a half years. The point is just reading through it, reading through it. Sometimes I get interrupted. And, and I did Isaiah for uh, uh, Advent this year. So it got interrupted, read that again. Just there's different speeds for different purposes, okay? Sometimes uh, you read the Bible in 90 days, you're going to read fast. You're going to read real fast. 
You read the Bible in a year, you're going to read slower. You're going to read it in two years, you're going to read it even slower. Different speeds for different purposes. If I want to read through and I'm just trying to get the content and the story, then I might use the uh, Christian Standard Bible. If I want to go a little slower and, and get a little more literal translation, then I'll use the New American Standard Bible. The point is, wash, rinse, repeat. You say, what do I do? I mean, I love that lady that did my heart scan. You know, I, I read, have you ever read through the Bible? Yeah, I have. Oh, yeah, I did too. And I, 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 you know, it wasn't the time or place, but I wanted it so bad and say, are you going to read it again? Or did you just read it to be able to say, when the Muslim guy asked you, do you have you read your holy book? Yes, I have. No, read it again. Read it again. Read it again. Older I get, the more I know, the more I have forgotten, right? And it's scary. And I don't want to forget the Word of God. So I'm still reading the Word of God, and you should too. And here's the next thing. Read the Bible in big chunks in 90 days or one book for 30 days. Read the Bible in big chunks in 90 days or one book, the same book, for 30 days. Now, I'll tell you, the first time I ever read through the Bible uh, in 90 days, I tried to do it by myself, and it did not go well. The next time, I did it with people from our church, and it went much better because that's how those things work. Okay, But I'll tell you this. One of the most beneficial ways of reading the Bible was reading it in 90 days because you, you saw the themes because you were moving so quickly. And uh, I would suggest using the 90-day Bible that takes, there's no cross-references, there's no notes, there's nothing to distract you, and, and it's in the NIV, which is uh, easy to read, um, and you just move, you move. But you see things that you wouldn't see why? Because you are reading, you're approaching your Bible canonically, and you're reading the entire book in a fast-paced way. Another way of doing that is you read one book for 30 days, and most of the books of the Bible can be read in one sitting very easily. I don't have the numbers memorized. I'm, I'm trying to, I, I don't know, 15, 30 minutes anyway. Most, a majority of the books of the Bible can be read that way. Obviously, I'm not talking about uh, Genesis or Isaiah. You're talking about the epistles, right? And you can read them. So those are ideas. Get a partner and do that. Now, the more you read, the more you know it, and the more you know the one who wrote it. And the more you know it, the more you enjoy it, and the more you enjoy the one who wrote it. And so approach your Bible canonically. But how do we make sense of this vast book that we're reading? And here's the second approach. Approach your Bible progressively. Approach your Bible progressively. And by that I mean read to see how God's kingdom story is fulfilled. Read to see how God's kingdom story is fulfilled. Because the reality is this. It is one story, and it's progressively revealed through these 66 books. Now, progressive means this. Notice in your notes, the Bible's revealed in various stages, 
Some people call them epochs, administrations, dispensations, okay? But there are different stages that build one upon another, and they eventually climax in God's coming kingdom. Why? Why do I say that? Because in Revelation 19 and 20, the very last historical event before the new creation is the kingdom come. The king comes with his kingdom. And he, when he was on earth, told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. That's the ultimate goal. It's the glory of God through the coming kingdom of God. Now, what is God's kingdom plan? I can't dwell on all this, but if, if you are consistent in coming to this class, you have heard this over and over. I promise you, I've taught it to you over and over. Here is God's kingdom plan. God's glorious presence, that's the glory, progressively rules with God's people over God's place. God's presence with God's people in God's place. That's as simple as I can give it to you. But as it progresses, you find that's going to happen through God's chosen person, by God's sovereign power, for God's ultimate purpose, which is His glory and our joy. So when I try to summarize the progression of God's kingdom, I think in terms of God's presence, ruling with God's people, in God's place, through God's chosen person, by God's sovereign power, for God's ultimate purpose. Now, I think that's a pretty good way to summarize the whole Bible. Are you with me? Now, how does that happen? How does that happen? Well, let me give it to you. And I can't, you know, this would be a whole series to teach this. But here's what you want to see. That God has a progress. There's two kingdoms that you want to keep in mind. I will give you this. First of all, there is the God's eternal kingdom. Always his, always has been, always was, always is, and always will be. God's eternal kingdom in heaven. The great three in one. Right? Eternal. Absolute. Sovereign. Nobody's going to overthrow it. Existed before creation. And it will exist for all eternity. But God in His wisdom and for His glory and in a mystery that we don't know created the earth and the universe, created the universe and chose the third rock from the sun. Um, child of the 80s. And decided that He was going to bring His eternal kingdom and establish a mediatorial kingdom and bring his God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Why do I say mediatorial? Because God chose to use us humans to rule over his kingdom. Adam and Eve were supposed to do that. They were supposed to multiply, fill the earth with image bearers, right? These are all image bearers. And they were all to reflect the glory of God, and they were to exercise dominion and rule over the earth on God's behalf. They screwed up. They blew it. And so God begins this redemption process 
and he focuses on Abraham, and then through Abraham on Israel, and then through Israel a chosen coming king, and then through that chosen coming king, he establishes his church, his called out subjects, and then they proclaim the good news of his rule to all the earth, and then that chosen one comes back and establishes his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. And once he has brought the devil and death, sin, and everything to subjection to Christ, Christ offers up the mediatorial kingdom back to the Father so that God is all in all. Okay, that, that kind of covers all those blanks. So I got my job done. Now, that's a lot. You need, to get, you need to approach your Bible canonically and progressively and get in this book so you can understand what I just said. Now, granted, I can always improve on explaining. I'm not saying that. My point is, this is really what the whole Bible is about. This is what the whole Bible... I just took you from Genesis to Revelation. It's about establishing God's eternal kingdom on this earth through his chosen mediators, which are supposed to be us humans. And we blew it, and God in his grace brought his son to become one of us and to establish his kingdom on earth. And what's going on right now is... The king is at the right hand of the father and he's using his people, the church, as his subjects to call out the good news. The king came and he's victorious and he died for our sins and he rose and he's seated at the right hand and he's coming back. And what he's doing right now is he's calling out subjects. Come, come out of the world, come out of the kingdom of Satan and join the kingdom of God. Submit your life to the king, the risen king, Jesus Christ. He's coming back. He's coming back and he's going to rule the world and he's going to put down all of his enemies. But he's going to deliver all of his subjects. Won't you join us in the kingdom of God? Isn't that beautiful? That's the message. And that's the progressive revelation. And I'm still learning about how to explain it and how to teach it. But let's take a look at this. So let me give you what this comes out. Number one, the kingdom pattern in creation. So you begin with Genesis 1 and 2. And you see the kingdom pattern. There's not a kingdom there. The pattern is there. God's presence with God's people in God's place. God Adam and Eve, garden. You see the pattern. And then you come to number two, the kingdom perverted by the depravity of humanity. The kingdom perverted. What happens? Adam and Eve rebel, and then they have children, and those children rebel. And you've got two lines of humanity. You've got one line that calls on the name of the Lord for the fame of his name. And you've got another line that gathers in cities and builds things for their own name. And that's the rest of the Bible right there. That's the rest of the Bible. And so you have the fall, the feud, the flood, the futility of tower building. That brings us to number three, the kingdom promised. 
in, the, in Israel's patriarchs. God, in His grace, made a covenant with Noah. And He said, you know what? You guys are worthy of total destruction, but I'm going to show grace to Noah, and I'm going to promise I will not annihilate you until my plan is fulfilled. And He says, I'm going to start over with one dude, and his name's Abraham, and he's as pagan as the rest of you, but I'm, by my grace, I'm going I'm to promise to him a coming kingdom. Okay, And that takes you through the rest of Genesis. Number four, the kingdom pursued. In the nation of Israel, the kingdom is pursued through and by the nation of Israel. This is Exodus, the rest of uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. I always remember Joshua, Judges, Ruth. That's how you remember that, okay? And there you have the kingdom is pursued. And God, listen, if you're going to have a kingdom, he's got to have a people. So he delivers Israel out of slavery. And then the king has laws. And so he gives him, he gives them his wise instruction and his commands. But you know what these people do? He's not even done giving the wise instruction. And what are, what are the Israelites doing? They're breaking every one of his commands, right? But he shows grace to them. And he, he, he gets them ready to go into the realm of his kingdom, the promised land. So number five, the kingdom is pictured in the kingdom of Israel. The kingdom is pictured in the kingdom of Israel. Now we're into the books of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. And we see King David and the covenant made with David. So now we've got God's people, Israel, in God's place, the promised land. And God is building a temple for his presence to dwell. And now he's got his chosen person, David, and his sons to rule as kings. And that takes us to number six. The kingdom punished with exile and captivity. Because how did David do? Even though he was a man after God's own heart, he sinned horrendously. And his sons sinned after him. And the whole nation sins. And so God punishes them, takes them into exile. But God is loyal to his kingdom plan and his kingdom people. And so number seven, the kingdom is predicted. In Israel's coming king. The prophets come in because the priests are messed up. The kings are messed up. God sends his promise, prophets to promise there's coming one. There is coming one who will deliver you. And then you got 400 years of silence. You can read about that there. And then you have number eight, the kingdom present in the first coming of Christ. The kingdom is present. And Jesus begins the gospel of Mark, believed to be the earliest gospel, with these words. The kingdom, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent in the good news. The kingdom is near. Why was the kingdom near? Because the king is here. The kingdom is near. Because the king is here. But what did Israel do to the king? They rejected him. They crucified him. What did the nations? And the king was supposed to be a light to the nations. And what did the nations do? They rejected him, right? 
And so the king is present, but they crucify him. But that was all a part of God's plan to redeem. And so he dies on the cross and he's exalted in the resurrection and he's at the right hand of the father. But listen, if he's at the right hand of the father, how does he rule now here on earth? And you've got number nine, the kingdom proclaimed. The kingdom is proclaimed. The king is up there. He's been here and he's coming again. And so what the, what the church is, is the king is calling out subjects for his coming kingdom. The church isn't the kingdom. The kingdom is not yet here. That's why we still pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We proclaim the coming kingdom. And that's Acts, Epistles, and Revelations 1 through 3. Number 10, the kingdom prevails. The kingdom will prevail. And that's Revelation 4 through 20. And then number 11, the kingdom perfected. After his thousand-year reign and putting down thousand-year kingdom and putting down the devil and death, the kingdom is perfected and he submits everything to the Father. And you... Have your place in that story. So you're like, right now? I don't think Jesus' kingdom is ruling very well in my life. But it is. It will prevail. And it will come. And you can be a part of it. And all I'm trying to get you to see is to approach your Bible progressively. So when you're reading your Bible, figure out where is this book in this story of his glory. Make sense? Where am I? And where am I reading? And it'll keep you from doing some really, you know, making bad interpretations and even worse applications. All right? And, uh, and so, there you go. I close with this. There was um, a guy by the name of Donald uh, Barnhouse. And in 1910... There was an evangelist by the name of Tom Tom Haney, and he was traveling by train to a conference. And a 15-year-old Christian, dude by the name of Donald Barnhouse, was on the train in the same car as this famous evangelist. And as the train rolled uh, rolled along, Barnhouse read a newspaper, and Haney read his Bible. First of all, you know how old this is. People are reading, okay, print. Barnhouse, 15-year-old Barnhouse, reading a newspaper, Haney's reading his Bible. After a while, Barnhouse said, I wish I knew my Bible like you know yours. And the evangelist Haney looked up at Barnhouse, you'll never learn it reading the newspaper, and he went back to reading his Bible. And that 15-year-old kid put down his newspaper, picked up his Bible, and never forgot that moment. And from 1930 to 1960, Barnhouse was one of America's greatest preachers. Listen to me. You got to read it to know it. And when you know it, you enjoy it. And you enjoy the one it reveals. All right? And I can take you to my office right now, and there's five volumes by Donald Barnhouse on the Book of Romans up in my shelf. But it started with a 15-year-old kid saying, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read my Bible.
So, heart postures. I hope you've enjoyed this series as much as I've enjoyed and benefited from it. Let's pray. Father, we, we pause to just you know, realize how big you are. And the Bible brings you near so that we can see your bigness. But Lord, we've got to read it. And we've got to read it with the story of your glory in the forefront of our hearts. And Lord, we want to see the progress of your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. No more leg infections. No more strokes and paralysis. No more perversion, immorality, rebellion, pride, harsh words, curse words. All of it, Lord. All of it gone. And nothing but the glory of your holiness given as a gift of your grace through your Son, the King, by the power of your Spirit and your Word. I don't want anybody in this room or anyone listening to this to miss out on the glory of your coming kingdom. May we fall at the feet of King Jesus and may we turn from our sins and acknowledge his lordship over every inch of our lives in this universe. All to your glory. Amen. 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 God bless you.